Are we on? Uh, We're on, baby. Uh, Dude, Merry Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of that probably sounded terrible as we all canceled each other out. I actually felt like it sounded, I felt like we were, we, we did a decent sort of harmony there, Matt. Yeah, this Beach Boys level harmony is going on. But IRL, it would have sounded so beautiful and euphonious. But uh, I don't know, I think it was a little muted. But it is Christmas. We're time warping. Merry Christmas. Mm. Very Dickensian idea, time warping. Uh, to bring you this maybe video episode. Merry uh, whatever holiday. Merry whatever, non-denominational uh, serotonin Darwin day or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Is the word merry problematic? Why? Happy, Why? happy holidays? What's wrong with, okay. What's wrong with merry What's wrong? Is it What's problematically wrong attached to Christmas specifically? I don't know. Ooh, you don't hear it often otherwise. No one no one says Merry Hanukkah. Although they should yeah. They should be able to. Yeah, you can you should be able to say it anytime you want. It's, no one just no one uses it. Merry Easter. Right. That, that that's also Christian though. Merry Halloween. Merry Halloween. Mm. Merry Passover. Why not? Right. Merry birthday. <laughs> yeah, these all work. This is all, Mary is so valid. Okay, normalize, <laughs> ha- hashtag normalize Mary. Yeah, come That's on. That's our message from this episode is, is normalize Mary. Because one I of think my- they, uh, I think they say Mary in, uh, in Alice in Wonderland. I think they say have a merry, merry on birthday because they celebrate on Have birthdays. a very, ma- very, very merry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very merry on birthday, yeah. But Carol was the, a wordsmith. Mm. Drugs. They drugs. Unlock, <laughs> they unlock creativity. <laughs> this is a fact. Everyone's better on drugs. Drug book. Drug book band. <laughs> Perma band Carol. <laughs> Christmas. The, Carol. The, the S in Hunter S. Thompson is is the is the same F at the end of Lewis Carol. <laughs> and it, it do, and Paul's right. It stands for spliff. Yeah, it's spliff, <laughs> which is what they use to make themselves insane enough to write some of these things about rabbits having tea parties or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Opium cr- spliff. Crazy <laughs> laced. <laughs> I I feel similarly about mirth. I think mirth is maybe one of my favorite words. I feel mm. like it it it's just such a nice warm cozy word you yes. know what i mean like it's, it, we had a mirthful time and stuff and i i it's so adjacent to mary yet i don't neither word is used enough mary has the christmas bump you know what i mean in in a profile but mirth needs to be used a lot more they both well, seem, I- they both seem to me in non-christmas context to be alcoholic words uh, <laughs> 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 like <laughs> Red face. Like I just, I anyone who says the word mirth in like <laughs> July, I just I think they're an alcoholic. They must be. Right. Yeah. Just what is mirth again? Cheeks. It's like uh, the three wise guys in the Bi- in the Bible. They give... <laughs> <laughs> I 
the three <laughs> mafia guys that come to give Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah, you fucking little off. Hey, you can't refuse. It's Gino, Gino, and <laughs> Santa Marino. <laughs> Uh, and that's Christmas. And, you know, we're professionals, which is why we've been orbiting around Christmas this whole time, even while riffing. I mean, just we're, we're incredible at this point. We've transcended. I don't mind saying it. We're incredible. <laughs> we're incredible at what we do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, TFW, you're good at your job. <laughs> and uh, so today... What we're going to do is uh, bring you the B-sides to an author who wrote one of the most famous Christmas stories of all time. Do we David say Copperfield. Paul? David Copperfield. <laughs> Paul, did you want to introduce Chevy that? Chase? That's National Lampoon's Christmas is, is must-see watching. Yeah, I'll uh, introduce. Uh, yeah. He also, I think he wrote planes, trains, and automobiles too, or at least what the. <laughs> Not yeah. exactly a Christmas. Novel. We are talking about John Candy, if you were. right. <laughs> Famous Victorian author. It's been pointed well, yeah. out that it's so funny that he's fat and his name's John Candy. <laughs> <laughs> because John candy Fat Candy makes you fat. Yeah, that's how he died overdosing on candy, right? <laughs> Those too many cows tails. They're so good. They're so good. They are good. If I had one candy to underrated on, it would, it would be cows tails. <laughs> underrated candy. <laughs> underrated candy. It's creamy. Oh, go on, Paul. So we're talking about well, okay. We're talking about Charles Dickens. Yeah. Charles Dickens, the great yeah. American author from England. <laughs> from England. <laughs> This is going to be so difficult to get through. <laughs> well, we, we wanted to do a Christmas episode and we thought we should uh, try to find some Christmas stories. And my idea was, well, I read uh, A Christmas Carol every year. And in my Christmas Carol book, there's other stories in there that I never read. So I was like, why don't we read a couple uh, other Dickens novellas? So we, we decided on two. We decided on The Haunted Man and uh, The Chimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say right off the bat, I did not read The Chimes. I <laughs> We were recording this episode and uh, I thought it's we were the doing most it. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like this is a time of year to be truthful and honest with your friends. That's and so I nice. just got to say it. I, didn't, I did not read it. I read That's the so other book. Quick. That's so nice of you, Paul. Yeah. I, really so, feel like you're- I, I will say, I, I, um, this was brand new information to me that Dickens had written a whole cycle of yeah. Christmas sort of, you know, novellas. Uh, obviously, I was familiar with A Christmas Carol, um, but I had Classic. no idea that he, that, that, that was just one of five sort of you know equally uh not significant but equally kind of um festive uh, uh novellas that he that he had written about christmas that was brand new information to me i don't i don't know about you two 
Well, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, Paul, you must have known for a long time, I guess. Yeah, because they're in my book. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I just didn't really think about it. I never really thought to read the other ones. But yeah, I've known for probably like five years that he wrote some other novellas. And I always thought it was cool. I just never really dove into them. So and well, I only dove into one this time around. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got three more to go. Well, I have many Christmases to go. I guess, like, I don't know if it's true, but part of the the whole notion of of Christmas as a as a holiday to be to be celebrated as it is, or something like that, like in the more contemporary sense, was partially like jump started by by Dickens and at, at, like just sort of emphasizing this time of year uh, for reasons that are. I don't know. I, I, I just I guess he kind of half partially invented contemporary Christmas because uh, people could not get enough of these things, which is why he wrote five. Like people were like every year were like clamoring for the next Dickens like Christmas tale, which is very funny to think about as well. Basically, uh, he was he was the J.K. Rowling of his time. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but, but but you're right, Matt. I mean, I think you know for a long time christmas was didn't have the significance that it has now there was a lot of significance attached to the new year and other sorts of um you know like lunar and solar i don't fucking know <laughs> yeah. about any of that shit but like the date of christmas didn't have a ton of significance until you know, and, and you know, Dickens is a, is is uh, uh, attributed with having a lot of sort of significance in great, you know, our contemporary understanding of the sort of the Christmas Eve, Christmas Day um, experience. Right, like emphasis on like time with your family. Yes, and uh, you know, just sort of mirthful. Uh, sort of bonhomie Ooh. and 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 just sort of like gathering with your family and thinking about it's kind of like it's kind of like what thanksgiving in the u.s is now or something too right like back then i don't know i have no historical sense of like christmas as a holiday i think that might be a good um it might be a good uh assessment of what it would have been like maybe like just more of like a feast a, day yeah like a feast day like giving thanks but it's there's no i there's also no uh i don't I, I wonder when um santa claus was like incorporated more too because he's no i'm serious though because that's I obviously know. a big a big part of what christmas is now but it's he's not i don't he's not in the christmas carol or these two yeah he's going to be seen sure, i'm pretty sure that was um in tim burton's uh famous film the nightmare before christmas <laughs> right uh, sandy claws yeah jack skellington yeah. was trying to yeah yeah it was a concoction yeah. of jack skellington's mind yes yeah well, no no santa claus no santa claus well there is like there's a santa claus myth though in like nordic culture that's pretty ancient so it, it is an interesting I, I i would like to know when that all came together well, there's two other there's two other of the Christmas cycle that we haven't read, 
And the haunted man significantly, I think, is the last is the last one that Dickens wrote. And um, I guess he was like a little so predictably we're starting with it. Yeah. But I think he was like and it's funny because it, I, I found it to be pretty, uh, pretty gloomy tale with a, a, a good I think like a good lesson. Like I'm assuming having not read two still that like all these stories so far that I've encountered have a kind of lesson and there's some sort of supernatural element going on. Uh, but uh, this, yeah, this one felt a little dark and there, I guess it still like ends nicely, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it was, it was a little grim. It was kind of more of like, it felt Halloween like instead of Christmassy Christmas uh, nightmare before Christmas. So Timber and <laughs> stole. <laughs> I mean, I will say, I think that um, both of these stories, and again, as you said, Matt, there's two others in the cycle that we haven't read yet. Um, I think both of these stories that we're going to talk about today, The Haunted Man and The Chimes, are significantly, to me, more conceptually interesting than... Uh, a Christmas Carol. I think a Christmas Carol yeah. is sort of more. Um, it's a vibe. It's a Christmas vibe. Uh, it's he it, created it. He did. Yeah, yeah. I think a Christmas Carol is the reason that Dickens is sort of associated with this time of year in such a strong way. But these two novellas that we read for tonight, I think, have much more sort of philosophically interesting themes to sort of to to, to plumb uh yeah then the yeah. turn of like a, a wealthy man yeah like yeah christmas carol the message of a christmas carol is basically oh you know you're rich um you should be grateful for that and be nice to other people okay it, great like it's thanks. like a noblesse oblige or something Right, yeah, exactly. And what we have in these two stories, which we'll obviously get into presently, uh, are- <laughs> So soon, guys, don't worry. I think much more interesting sort of explorations of identity and um, memory uh, and a lot of sort of like philosophical concepts that I think are, are really sort of underappreciated when you're thinking about Dickens's Oeuvre. Yeah. Oeuvre. And uh, I think I mean, it's pretty clear why uh, Christmas Carol got so popular, though, and the other ones didn't, though, is because I feel like Christmas Carol is so relatable yes. and accessible to like yeah. anyone that reads it. You can put yourself in Scrooge's shoes, even though he's an old man. You can uh, uh, you can be any person and still think about like or your or past tiny and, yeah, Tiny Tim's shoes. Yeah, I mean it, yeah. it. It has all the. It's, very it's, it's it's way just it's yeah. You're right. It's just way more like everything is way more of like a um, identifiable kind of archetype. Which it's I a guess, home run. Yes, it's a five it's a bagger. Grand, it's a five bagger. It's a five bagger grand slam home run of a story. Um. Yeah. All right. So let's let's start. Let's talk about uh, the haunted man. Um, okay. So this is a story which I think it sort of is following 
in the vibe of A Christmas Carol. It's about someone who is generally well off um, in society, but who is haunted in various literal and metaphorical ways by their past, right? So in, in, in A Christmas Carol, we're talking about a sort of business tycoon. Uh, in this story, we're talking about a university professor. And we first encounter him sort of at the end of a, a, a term, having his sort of needs attended to by uh, some people who are assigned to his um, service, basically. And they bring him food and drink and whatever. And he is um, in, a, in what I would say a, a depressive state, thinking yeah. about his past and the, you know, it, it's at the end of the year and he's sort of thinking back on his life and he's feeling very negative, I would say. The melancholy has gripped him. The seasonal affective disorder. Yes. He's also really old too, right? He's like 85? No, no. no er, Redlaw is, is how, I don't know how old he is actually. Yeah, I'm not sure if we ever get a sense of how old Redlaw is. Uh, Redlaw is the college professor. I don't think I he's, he's that super old. old. Huh. The father of the like keeper, like the 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 superintendent or whatever, the 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 people that are servicing Redlaw, right? The Williams. The Williamses are have their their father in there, and he is eighty seven. Oh, uh, okay. And he keeps saying he's eighty seven. He seems pretty senile. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's the one who's the most notably eighty years old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can read. I can remember things that I read about. Ah, uh, dude. So, so, me so, too. Basically, Redlaw, who is a professor of we don't know what exactly. Uh, I don't. Think isn't he a chemist? Isn't he a chemistry? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. He's a chemist. He's reflecting on his his life and um his attendants the williamses leave for the night and redlaw is uh in a sort of moment that will be recognizable to anybody that has read a christmas carol visited by a sort of specter right the difference is that this specter that visits redlaw is a sort of weird doppelganger of himself it's this sort of see-through ghostly reflection of who Redlaw himself is and I think that is already a really interesting deviation from uh say a Christmas Carol I did like I don't did that jump out to you guys yeah yeah I thought that was really fucking awesome and scary it was like a really spooky idea to have a ghost form in front of you that's yourself uh and it it, it i don't even know if it really cl classifies as a ghost it's it's like a it's a specter right. it's a spook it's and, a uh, yeah it's like a manifestation of like like his worst impulses and most like negative thoughts yeah and, it's, and it was awesome and paul and i were listening to this uh in audiobook form 
on a drive. And uh, it out was- Out to see Gabe. Out to see Gabe. Let's go. Shout out. Um, 10 hours in. <laughs> to the drive. <laughs> and uh, the I don't want to like, I don't want to like shit on the guy who was doing it, but it was mostly whack as hell. But <laughs> his ghost- man. His specter voice was genuinely chilling. Yeah, that was awesome. That he kind of, that was the only character I feel like, ironically enough, that he made come to life was like this like weird, um, misty like apparition that like just takes on more weight via like darkness as the more and more of the melancholy kind of like sits with this character. It was really cool. Yeah, they, yeah. He did a great job with the voice acting with that character for sure. And I think they also did a little bit of effect to his voice, like some reverb. I would have to go back. In my head, that's what happened. But I was also going insane driving (laughs) for 11 hours. Imagine like a, imagine just like this like weird British thespian voice, like, and upon the ghostly visage did appear darkness colder than the coldest night. Oh, oh, did he see? And you're just like, it's like, and it's a lot of that. So, and Matt and I are just driving through uh, Illinois. Yeah. And in silence, listening to this man's voice. <laughs> so, picture that. Your eyes are just like slowly, like slowly widening. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it I will say, interesting I, I, I will say in that connection that I thought that this story was, um, really scary i mean even even the sort of description of um redlaw's sort of living quarters in the university when it went on for pages and pages and it was so detailed and so weird and so spooky um that it was almost sort of like uh postmodern in a way where there it was just this overemphasis on like these weird minute details that have nothing to do with the story and literally like talking about the physics of the wind blowing through this and that hallway for paragraphs um yeah it's like tolkien yeah talking about moss on the fucking trees it's like nice (laughs) yeah nice sweet well i think to to (laughs) But obviously, this isn't a postmodern at all story, and I, I think that it's it's funny because like modernism yeah. means that everything is postmodern. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, so it's the contain. Okay, I don't know. I'm sorry. You have a PhD. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he pee. Wild high indeed. <laughs> uh, didn't Dickens get paid by the word? Wasn't that part of it a little bit? It was yeah, a way more really. lucrative. If it's fucked up because it's like <laughs> I feel like writing was like a way more lucrative profession or something back then. Like they had a lot more prestige and like so a lot of he could do it. He could pull it off because like Dickens, if if the man can describe the fuck out of it, anything, and his ability to like Gabe said describe creepy and very and coldness, the feeling of coldness. Uh, yeah. I've not I've not read anything even even close to that, um, but doesn't he? He I thought he got paid by the word. It was like a shilling well, I word. Think that's, I think that's uh, I think that's right. And there was definitely Dickens was definitely um, 
fatigued by the time he was done writing these uh, Christmas novellas <laughs> to the point that he was like, I feel like I've lost the sort of thread as to why I started doing these in the first place, which was to try to impart, you know, a, a, a moral sort of lesson to the people that was reading them. And by the time he was done, it was kind of like, what am I even doing anymore? Well, um, did did you mention on Mike that his sister ha in real life uh, died? No. So uh, okay, so let's just go to let's just go to that right now, because basically what happens after the Williamses leave um, uh, Redlaw and he's alone is that he's visited by similarly in to what happens in A Christmas Carol by a spirit. Uh, except that it is a sort of weird doppelganger of himself, as we said. And he offers him this weird sort of Faustian bargain where uh, I will give you the ability to retain all of your academic knowledge and all of your sort of accumulated experience, but forget all of the bad things that have ever happened to you and all of the wrongs that have been done to you. And Redlaw is tempted to this uh, deal by the fact that his sister has recently died. And that has had a really profound effect on him and his view on sort of mortality. Um, and that adds to his sort of uh, temptation to taking this deal. And it's interesting because this story specifically, which I don't know if it was the last or the second to last, but it was toward the tail end of the cycle of Christmas novellas that Dickens wrote was written a couple of months after Dickens' own sister died. Uh, so I, I think, think this is the last. Yeah. Yeah, this is the last. I just, all, all, to be, all to say that just like the darkness that you can feel creeping into this one, which, you know, I, I think... Yeah, I think Dickens was a little fucking sick of uh, <laughs> writing about fucking Christmas. He's kind of like had to like, you know, uh, t t tend to this monster that he himself created a little bit, I believe. Um, yeah, was still trying to like negotiate, was, was clearly now just trying to like, had lost the thread probably a bit and was trying to like, just go through some shit of his own via this thing because he like, wanted the the paycheck but he was a professional i'm not saying he was just in it for the cash but uh you know what i mean like he was he yeah. was a noted author who didn't want to let people down who was going through personal turmoil and like I, I just think it's so like clearly in this particular story at the end of something he didn't want to do anymore <laughs> i am kind of surprised that uh she only died before this story because in A Christmas Carol, um, Scrooge's sister, Fran, dies. Um, I they never forgot. Clearly, they never clearly say when, but she dies, you know, and then only her or her son, Scrooge's nephew, is left, who's the guy that comes in and is like, Merry Christmas, Uncle, and right, all right. that shit. <laughs> so I, I actually, I thought that maybe she had died before A Christmas Carol, too, but it, it turns out she only died before this one, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and, and I also sisters like a sister death runs through multiple stories. 
I also just forget where Christmas Carol lies in the cycle, if it was the first or, or where it is. Do you know? Yeah, I don't know either. No. But so hey, do you know? It's definitely early in the cycle. Uh, I think if, I want to say it's the second. That's kind of fun, like reading all five and following like a little bit like the emotional trajectory <laughs> over that period of time, like within a Christmas themed cycle of stories. I don't know. That's that would be an interesting reading experience. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> but like Gabe was saying, Redlaw takes this bargain eventually to to cease feeling that the pain over the loss of his sister and you know his like I don't know dark negative kind of doppelganger manifestation of his brain uh makes it seem like a like a no-brainer. He's like, come on, like you won't you won't it's feel first. it's the first i just looked up christmas carol it is the first okay okay cool um yeah he's like you won't remember any bad thing that's ever happened to you and i believe nor will you retain anything bad that happens in the future to you or something like that i forget exactly you were getting a little objective like whatever what, like plot holy about it but uh mauler mauler <laughs> don't invoke him uh but the the uh, the twist to the Faustine bargain is, uh, of course, the Oliver. Twist. The Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> nice dude. Uh, you know what? Game, game recognized game. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's contagious, right? Which is another kind of strange idea. Like, if you yeah. whoever you talk to is also going to you know, the, the spirit frames it as contract this blessing, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, everyone who comes into contact with Red Law is also going to not remember anything negative that's ever happened to them. Which, what a, what a bizarre sort of uh, wrinkle to all of this, right? Like, like it, 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 which is why I think that these, these, uh, novellas are so interesting because I think they add such an, a, a layer of weirdness to Dickens that I never thought was there. I sort of, you know, I think Dickens, I think sort of Victorian morality tales, et cetera, et cetera. But in these stories, we get a bunch of like weird, like borderline sci-fi yeah. elements that I find fascinating um that, that that this guy now is saddled with this contagious memory erasing <laughs> virus like it's bizarre yeah it is bizarre it's spooky too i mean i i forget the the first woman he comes in contact uh red red what was it redwood red red law red law he uh he, he comes in contact with a woman and it's from her perspective and she kind of sees him in the street and uh, he, he becomes kind of a specter himself. Like she sees him and he's like absolutely terrifying to her and she can't even like put her finger on exactly why. He's just kind of like standing. And that whole scene was really freaking spooky to me too. It was, it was 
undeniably way scarier than a Christmas Carol. Yeah. Uh, and well, I did not read the chimes, but <laughs> it was pretty scary. <laughs> well, I, I mean, as you would expect, probably Redlaw quickly learns that it's not a blessing; it's a curse. Right. Um, and that he can't feel anything. That without without the you know, the counterpoint kind of bedrock. It's always darkest before the dawn. Yep. Uh, <laughs> He's he's kind of devoid of feeling, which is why I think he ends up looking so scary to this woman in the like POV scene, because he's just like he's not he's like barely hu a human anymore. He's like completely devoid of of empathy or any kind of sympathy, just nothing. But I also took it as like he had already begun or began like stealing her her memories too. Did he give That's it to I her? I wonder how how close do you have to be? Do you have to start talking to someone to give them the curse? Mauler. I don't know. Mauler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, now I'm just well, curious. But it, but but it is it is unclear a little bit, you know, um, because uh, eventually Redlaw sort of realizes, and and this is all sort of surrounding the 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 theme, which is a a recurring phrase in the story that is first uttered to Redlaw by the elder Williams, uh, the caretaker in his sort of office when they're giving him dinner, they're talking about, oh, you know, uh, uh, all I have is my memory. And that's what sort of gives my life meaning. And there's this sort of phrase, Lord, keep my memory green. That mm -hmm. is sort of recurring throughout the story. And I think that, um, you know, Redlaw is struggling with the value of memory throughout the whole the whole thing. And, you know, eventually he comes to this point where he recognizes, as you said, Matt, that this is a sort of curse and that I'm sort of causing more harm than good. And he tries to devise a way to do something positive with this curse that he's given this contagious sort of memory erasing virus that he's contracted almost. And he, so he goes to essentially a leper, basically a leper, yeah. right? Like a, a house that has a bunch of sick people who have sort of sick and homeless people who have been, been harmed in various ways by life. And his thought is, okay, well, what can I use this contagious memory erasing thing for? I'm gonna go help these people forget all of the terrible things that have happened in their lives. Is this, but is that a reaction to having seen how uh, the other more like vibrant people in his immediate circle, notably the Tetterbees, who are kind of like just a stand in cozy, working class kind of family with a lot of kids who are like genuinely pleased with each other and have a great rapport and all this kind of stuff. Like, doesn't he start to see how his influence by giving them this curse fucks up their whole family? And so he, he feels guilty and he needs to run to the leprechaun. He's like, who are the most desperate people? These people marked for death who just need some easement or not easement, but like assuaging of their mortal fears before they're dead. 
and even yeah. that doesn't really work yeah yeah i skipped i i skipped over that part a little bit uh for sure so the tether bees which we are sort of introduced to kind of randomly like we see uh hard cut hard cut yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a hard we so we hard cut after he interacts with this demon that gives him this curse slash gift whatever regarding his memory and then we hard cut to this family the Tetterbees, and then we gradually learn that they are relevant to the story because they are housing this sick student that we had mm -hmm. learned about earlier and Redlaw takes it upon himself to go visit the student um and he winds up corrupting the Tetterbees and the student with his sickness, basically. Mm -hmm. Which is weird. Like their family dynamic is ruined. I, you know what it reminds me of a lot is the Pixar, Pixar's Inside Out. <laughs> you got to feel bad to feel good. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, it's, make, it's definitely a bit of that. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like tropical swirl gushers or whatever. Like you mix the flavors together, and 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 now you're really experiencing life. But the tender, yeah, like totally. the tenderbees, forget. Like I'm assuming, like moments when they made their siblings cry, or like taking care of your sick loved one, and all this kind of stuff, and they start to just become really cold with each other, and like it. I, I think the main yes. thrust is that like obviously that you need that good and bad are in you know interlinked and like interlinked. In, uh, <laughs> <laughs> inextricable from one another uh fuck i lost my thread i'm sorry well i think no but i, I mean a pea brain can only hold is, one thought at this, a time this is a sort of another vehicle for dickens to sort of make a point about moral theory which is that like all of your good memories are meaningless in the absence of their counterpoints right like yeah it doesn't mean anything that you have a positive good memory about something in in the case of Redlaw, specifically his sister dying and all these various like harms that have come to him and that he has caused, it does none of that matters unless you have the counterpoint, which is all the things that have been bad and wrong and harmful in your life. Um, and so it's it it it's it's a claim about memory to me. It's actually like uh it's like a cooler version of a dementor <laughs> because <laughs> dementors only suck out the good memories but to, to have a dementor suck out the bad ones and it still ruins you and turns you into a lifeless vessel of wow. a body imagine is pretty hard is pretty fucking smart and jk rowling sucks <laughs> opposite dementor from your story <laughs> before her wow <laughs> five stitches <laughs> five snitches fuck i had a i had a, a such a good point that you'll never hear because i forgot it
Oh, You'll only hear Matt's good point if you subscribe to the Patreon that <laughs> still doesn't exist. My OnlyFans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your OnlyFans is like the things you forgot to say on the podcast. I thought it was just for my fans only, and I could just tell them cool stuff that I remembered. <laughs> just tell your dad you made no OnlyFans account. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he would take that really well. <laughs> dad, I have dad. an OnlyFans. Dad. <laughs> so, I, I mean that's the story yeah <laughs> just that you, you you have to you know you have to retain the negative or there's there's there yeah or everything is leveled out which is the whole problem with red law and then eventually everybody is that like they become i think it's it, it's really like people become completely atomized and like myopic about anything like it feels a lot like like pain is the thing that provides perspective basically like yes everyone just loses sight of each other weirdly even though you would think even though it's like commonly like held i feel like that like pain is one of those like weird in like philosophical thought experiments like pain isn't pain always used as like a, a a way to like show subjectivity's impenetrability or whatever like yeah. no one can know your pain but like right because there's no there's no sort of uh there's no universal referent right there's no thing that we can all appeal to that says oh this is what pain feels like to me because anyone can say well that's not what it feels like to me yeah i don't i i, I I, I don't know where it, it it's just weird that it's used in like almost the opposite effect in this book or in yeah. this like novella where it's like yeah. no this is what provides people with a notion of like what their acts how their acts affect others and why that's important and like i don't know it's the thing that creates a sense of of other people or something like that yes is what i feel like dickens is wrestling with and I, I just think that, that 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 this is such a more fertile sort of ground to work with for Dickens because, you know, obviously something like A Christmas Carol, it's working with memory, but it's working with memory in a way that's sort of like very individualistic and very sort of, and as we'll see at, when we move into the discussion of the chimes next, Dickens is like deeply concerned with class. He's deeply concerned with politics. He's deeply concerned with the way that um, political structures um, create individual experiences of the world. And I think that this story is a sort of not a precursor to the chimes, but it is relevant to those sorts of concerns. What's well, a post chime story? But I, I mean, I, you're right. I think <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> literally, all of them that we've read so far are about. Uh, I'm invite myself when I quit the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry if you can't take a robust, healthy criticism <laughs> and sort timeline of timeline uh, criticism. 
and sort of engage with these high-level ideas, Gabriel. <laughs> My name is Gabe Rubin. <laughs> uh, no, but they all they all have the. I mean, it's Victorian England, so like, class is pretty stark <laughs> in yeah. terms of its determining influence on whoever. And again, you know, not to keep appealing to his biography, but I, I think Dickens also had a little bit of the old up and down and back up again financial experience with like his family and his father being put in, his whole family being put in a debtor's prison yep. at yep. one point and him kind of clawing his way back to the top and being really uh, aware of the precarity and, and sort of obsessed with money. And all well, that. and I think it's so interesting, right? Like, cause, cause you can have that sort of experience, right? You can have that sort of class experience and- And not go that way. <laughs> and not go that way. Yeah, exactly. Like you can have, like two people can have the same class experience that you just described, Matt. And one of them can become you know, the, like an insane rightist lunatic. And one of them can become someone who feels a sort of organic concern for people who came from the same place that they did, but did not have the same, uh, you know, random luck outcomes that they had. And I think Dickens falls into the, the latter category. And I think that you really see that in these Christmas stories. Well, in The Haunted Man specifically, I think that's like like experiencing arbitrary pain and loss and all this kind of stuff is what tends to prevent you from becoming like a weird meritocracy-pilled psychopath. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Meritocracy-pilled is like, is, we, we, we need to copyright that. Yeah, that's and really I, good. I, I, the final character I feel like di who didn't get enough mention because of her importance to like the cap of the story is Millie. Yes. Who kind of cures everybody just through the sheer power of her personality. Yeah. She's kind of like the Tom, like the Tom Bombadil of the story. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate, Paul. Well, she's like, you're not wrong. She's a little bit, she's like unwilling, or not unwilling, but she's like, not exactly immune, but she has power over his power. So well, she can how does kind that, of bring so I, him. What do you mean by Tom Bombadil, though? What is, just create I, the parallels for me. Well, okay. Well, I think I know what you mean. I, 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 I get it. Well, I, he turns into Tom a bear. That's all I know about him. That's not Tom Bombadil. Who's that? That's, uh, that's bear or bearer or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, What's his no, name? no, that's Tom Bombadil. No, Tom, Bomb Tom Bombadil can put on the ring of power and not go invisible. He takes it off. He's like, fuck this. He's ring. a werebear as well. No, he's not. Fucking yes, he is, dude. Come on. <laughs> dear listener, dear listener, figure this out and send me an email at spinecrackers at gmail.com. <laughs> dude, fucking, you read the Silmarillion. Okay, hold on. <laughs> I did not read the Silmarillion. Yeah, you did. No, I did not. Dork motherfucker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a dork. I'm not a nerd, dude. <laughs> I'm not okay, a dork. Okay, okay, okay. So why are we talking about this? What's what what's the connection, do you think, to the to the Dickens story? 
Well, Tom, Tom Bobadil can like basically overcome the evils of the one ring of power. He doesn't like care about it at all. He's yes. like Yeah, exactly. And so and Millie's kind of the same way. Like she's she's incapable of just like having her memory be destroyed by the specter that is and, and, and in fact she actually so this is the wife of the caretaker of Redlaw's uh you know sort of university uh housing complex or whatever I don't know how the fuck this shit worked back then but these are the caretakers and uh the wife Millie essentially acts as a sort of curative for Redlaw's disease. Like, so if Redlaw interacts with someone and corrupts their memory, if they subsequently interact with Millie because she's wholesome and whatever, which, you know, we, I think there's some fucking fucked up gender shit there as yeah. well, obviously. Um, because she's so wholesome their memory is restored to its normal state. Yeah, I kind of wish her character was just re review bra. <laughs> that would have <laughs> made it a lot more. He is somebody that I just genderfied. He just goes, I, that is somebody I go back to, to just center myself. You know what I mean? Well, I'm the feeling, yeah, I'm never feeling down. Yeah. I'm all fucked up feeling. I'm just like, gotta watch some videos and really just see see things in perspective i mean it's just like eating a spicy chicken sandwich from wendy's and i'm like yeah okay <laughs> i was thinking oh, matt mm. the the character that turns into a bear is bear b-e-o-r and bayorn bayorn not tom bombadil bayorn he's in the hobbit tom bombadil's in the fellowship of the ring <laughs> god dude maybe i'm just conflating the two <laughs> I was looking him up on Wikipedia to see if I could do a quick, quick scope you, but like there was so much Rack. lore. There was so much lore. No, I'm not wrecked yet. I'm gonna fucking come back. Well, uh, so so let's move on and talk about the second story for the evening. Merry Christmas, everybody! By the way, Whoa. Merry Christmas. Wait, can I have one more comparison to that I thought of? I'm sorry to the Haunted Man. Was yeah. far. I thought of Fargo while while I was reading it. The show or the movie? The movie. Because Millie reminded me of Marge Gunderson as mm -hmm. like the 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 pure force of good that kind of you know moves through all of the completely self-centered, short-sighted, like disgusting evil of all the other characters and like yes. And and makes it uh, and makes it not a movie of complete nihilism. Yeah, that's a good that's, one. That's it. That's I it. love that. Okay. Now, on to the chimes. So, okay. Which so I didn't... The chimes, which Paul didn't read. I'm going to... Because I didn't read it and I need more alcohol and I have to go to the bathroom, I'm going to go right now. All right. I'm going to... Pa I'll pause the recording and we'll come right back. And Paul's going to pee and poop and drink. And poop. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to poop. Mostly and poop. Diarrhea. All right, so the next story we're going to talk about uh, is The Chimes, which is another of these five sort of Dickens uh, Christmas novella cycles. And I think that what's one of the things that's interesting about this story compared to the other ones 
even the one that we just talked about, The Haunted Man and A Christmas Carol, is that this is about a poor guy. This is about someone who is downtrodden, uh, oppressed by society, um, rather than someone like Redlaw or who the fuck is it in a in a Christmas Carol? Eben, Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> That's really embarrassing that I couldn't even come up with Scrooge. Uh, Scrooge and Redlaw, who are basically in the upper crust of society, they're college professors and successful business people. This is about someone who is at the bottom tier of society. They're a porter, which I don't really yeah. know what it means exactly. Bag boy, messenger, yeah, dog's yeah. body. They letters, they um, deliver, you know, packages. Uh, yeah, bag boy, mm-hmm. exactly what Matt said. And he has this sort of weird experience where he feels like he is being spoken to by these church bells above his sort of hovel. Yeah. Right. What what is the full what is the full title again? I, I kind of forget, but it's funny. It's like yeah, or the, the goblin of winter. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah exactly. what is it called? So, so the full title is The Chimes, a Goblin uh colon, a goblin story of some bells that rang an old year out and a new year in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is also about memory, but it's more in the Christmas carol vein of like a speculative fiction of a possible future, immediate future. Um, but yeah, like Gabe says, it's kind of turned on its head because it's uh, it's inverted now. It's yeah, it's basically a very poor person who is getting a view at a potential future. An and- Oliver Twist type character. Mm. What, Paul? <laughs> I said an Oliver Twist like character. Mm. And I, and, and mm. I think it's it's sort of interesting. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this story mm. really brought out Dickens's class concerns for me because the sort of impetus for the whole story is this uh, poor guy, his daughter finds another sort of like, you know, a husband who's also sort of poor working class kind of guy. And they interact with this group of rich guys, lawyers, politicians, and they kind of make these people out to be delusional, right? Like, why would you, I mean, it's really sort of sick. It's almost sad. Like, it's a bunch of rich people telling poor people, like, why would you even bother having kids? All they're they're just gonna be well, they're just gonna be thieves, they're gonna be poor, they're gonna die unhappy. I um, love that section was so fucking good. Like Yeah, it was fucked up, right? Well, because like so like the main guy's name is Toby. Yeah. Vec. And uh, you know, he's sort of taking pleasure where he can and he's he's vibing. It sucks. It's very cold. He works in a little, basically, a, a toll booth. Yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah. Uh, by a church. And, you know, like, he, he has kids. He has a really nice, yeah, a daughter. 
and uh, she's about to be married. And it's all about like, again, emphasis. Meg. Meg. And Richard, I believe, is her. Is her fiance. To be. And her husband to be. And like, you know, Toby Beck is already plagued by a notion of like, is man inherently good or evil? Is it worth being alive? Before and and it's clear then I feel like it becomes clear where these thoughts come from and find find root. Yes. In in the like sort of you know pageant of like three rich guys who all represent I feel like different different ways in which this idea of like fuck you poor the poor comes into play. I think I think Toby Vac is specifically specifically um sort of in uh you know evincing the ideology of it's not just he's internalized this narrative that because you are poor you must have done something wrong right like he views poor people people as inherently evil and fucked up and angry. And I think that the, the part of the story is him trying to sort of overcome that narrative. But it's not, the, the, I think what's key is that it's not like overbearing to him. It's not yeah. something that he naturally <laughs> considers right. as a truth, right. like mostly, He's happy to see his daughter happy. Uh, he's excited to have a nice meal. I mean, it's a, it's you know, Dickens is still kind of like probably simplifying the issues of the poor. Let's be clear about that, I guess, like as well while being concerned about them. But like, it's only when people like, I forget what the three guys are. There's the sort of the one who's like, yeah, like it's it's funny because it feels so contemporary yes the like the the things that they're saying to his daughter's face his daughter's like so happy she's like i'm gonna be married i'm so excited there's the one guy who's like like statistically your kids are fucked like why do this like don't even get married like you'll probably end up like being unhappy like it's just it's likely that this stuff is going to occur so like don't even do this there's and, and like it's like the utilitarian. There's, so there's Alderman Cute. <laughs> there's Mr. Filer Filler. Uh huh. And then there's Joseph uh, Bowley. So there's like the sort of economist slash social engineer guy. Yep. Who's like, you know, the the amount of uh, dolors versus hedons that you're going to produce would be not well, worth literally it. Literally, so. utilitarianism was an actual sort of operating factor in 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 the, the characterization of these people. Where when did when was that idea brought about? Was it when Dickens was writing, or a little after? I guess so. Uh, like Mill and Malthus and these people. It was all in the same sort of mix, uh, I think, historically. And then there's another guy, the kind of like lifestyle guy, who's like talking to Richard and he's like, you don't want to be fucking chained up with some bitch. Like, 
drink and like fuck a lot until you're dead <laughs> like don't care for a person like blah 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 and then there's like the other guy who's like weirdly like pretending to be their friend but for whatever reason i forget what there's a subtler one that felt like the most evil because he's the least blatant it was like the guy who's like you're eating this tripe soup and stuff and he's like telling you why it's gross while he eats the rest of it i think that was alderman alderman cute alderman cute probably yeah which it's funny that his name is cute like he he like you know it's 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 this whole discourse of people who are better off in life the alderman the politician the lawyer whatever talking down to someone who their life seems basically fine uh, but they don't even really understand that they're oppressed by right. these sort of other discourses. And they convince them that you deserve your state, right? Your, your, your life, your daughter's life, her marriage, you deserve that right? It's all going to be meaningless and it's all going to be fucked up and shitty. And the, the, the dialogue between um, Vec, Vec and uh, the alderman is really disturbing because it's sort of just like the alderman convincing him that like, you don't deserve anything. You're basically worthless and your life is meaningless. And Vec internalizes that. And I'm trying to, this feels like something that would be worth reading. I'm, you keep talking about, I'm, I'm trying to- Yeah, well, so, so, so I just think that this is one of, this is again, one of these moments where these other stories are more kind of conceptually interesting than A Christmas Carol, because in this case, Vec is, has internalized a really a really problematic narrative about people in his situation that I deserve to be poor. I he literally says in the story over and over again I was born bad. I my daughter was born bad. Like we were just born evil and fucked up and shitty. And that becomes the sort of vector of the rest of the story, which is that he finds his way up to the top of a bell tower that he has been sort of hearing in his dreams. And they tell him, you're doing yourself and other people a disservice by saying, oh, they're evil, they're wrong. Like, no, actually you're wrong. Like you, are harming people of your class by acting as if it's this sort of weird inherent vice. Right. The final person I I forgot to identify was uh, the weird guy who's like, things are worse now than they were. And it's, but yeah. it's, st it's still your fault, but like the uh, sort of romantic, the good old days, you know, the, the kind of like Western Civ is degrading type right. of guy. 
The Ben all Shapiro. The, ben Shapiro, motherfuckers. The, every all there's I, there's three characters that come on the fucking wagon. All of them are immediately identifiable as as types now, which yep. is what was that w- was super striking to me. And I'm I'm I couldn't find a fucking specific that I was trying to read, but uh, in particular the the mill guy, the kind of utilitarian facts and figures dude, who was just saying statistically science based don't right don't do anything because it's all going to lead to tragedy was upsetting to me and so yeah ultimately you know he realizes that and this is the sort of message that is um you know communicated to him by the ghosts that he encounters in the, the the sort of bell tower look man like what you what is really wrong is you assuming that poor people are automatically bad or inhumane or fucked up and they take him on this sort of tour similarly to a christmas carol of possible futures and they see his daughter sort of it, it's actually really fucked up. Like they, they show him this possible future of his daughter taking a child and drowning it in the river while <laughs> yeah. suicide. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, I just felt like it was a very sort of um, potent explication by Dickens about like how sort of internalized ideology affects the way people view themselves exactly like your this is the this is the inheritance of all these people around you who you know who would believe what you are believing now and like accept it yes and it's just absolute like fucking misery and degradation like across the board right and i i I, i'm you know my memory is unfortunately a little foggy you know about there was like he the big uh speech that uh i'm forgetting who it is the guy with the daughter who's kind of just been fined for vagrancy constantly oh shit yes i loved he 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 like crashes some fucking fundraiser for all the aldermen yep you know the quote-unquote champion of the of like the common man while not being at all the most evil character uh and he's just like he says once again shit that is like still relevant which is like you know uh you've made it so that every turn is like punishable by imprisonment and i like like i'm just i'm absolutely i don't give a shit anymore like i'll crash this big party or whatever because like i i i you know i'm on the streets and like that's punishable by imprisonment like i uh i beg on the streets it's punishable by imprisonment you know then i'm i can't make money and then i'm back on the streets again and a vagrant and i'm that's punishable by imprisonment he's just like basically talking about perpetual you know imprisonment and how it keeps like just generating its own stock of people well also since i don't have much to say because i didn't read this book 
I, I did look up when the uh, Industrial Re Revolution started, and it started in eight, or 1760, and it, and it went to about 1840. So it's just... Fern, right Will Fern. Matt. Will Fern. And he had a daughter. Yep. So, and, and it started in, in the UK, or I mean, whatever, like Great Britain or whatever, uh, <laughs> yeah. earlier, right? I don't know. I'm thinking yeah, of like US 1760 history. is pretty, yeah, I mean, I think our industrial revolution is later, but I think it, it points to uh, a manufacturing revolution like this really dictates a lot of social class influences, like just by the, the way that it operates. Right? Yeah, I think it exacerbates people... what is already there too, like a lot, like pretty badly. Like there was already, it was a, basically a cased system. And then to add, I don't know, the structures of like a giant manufacturing and like conglomerate, like corporation sort of like solidifying and like growing and like finding out how to like create hierarchies within themselves and stuff. Yeah. But Some again, disgusting organic machine. To but Toby, machine. Toby is almost like he's like pre that though. I mean, like a porter feels like a very like he he's not working in a factory. It's more like I guess is maybe his uh, daughter. She's kind of doing more of like this kind of rote stuff, and like the second she's not able to do it, she's going to be financially ruined. This is in like the dark you know, alternate future, but I, the, she's probably the tiny matched. Tim future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, you know, I think it's, it's, I really appreciate this sort of discussion because Dickens is, Dickens is good actually. Like, <laughs> did anyone say otherwise? Well, I think that there's this perception of Dickens that he's this sort of, oh, yeah, we have a, a couple Christmas stories, etc. But I actually think that Dickens was deeply concerned about class politics. I think he was aware of a lot of this sort of similar concerns that we have uh, now in his own era. Yeah, they yeah. just never left. Like right. the concerns never went anywhere. And Dickens is also, you know, I I'll say, I don't know what current public perception of him is. I'm assuming it is literally a Christmas Carol is like the thing that basically everyone knows, and that's about it at this point. Like what, a tale of two cities? Yeah. Uh Pickwick papers. I haven't read any of this stuff. Like, I, like that's what I'll cop to is like I haven't read his other like major novels or anything like that. I don't really know a lot about his work. Um, what I what I also gathered just superficially um, was that he's a pretty good prose stylist. No question. Like super evocative, super. Uh, I did know the other thing was like the notion of a Dickensian character being like this like cartoonish, 
but vividly rendered person who is kind of a representative of a particular like facet of society or idea about people, human behavior or something like that. And they're like aptly named someone like Alderman Cute. Yes. Ironically so. But like, I, I was thinking, okay, so in part three of the chimes, just like the way that fucking thing starts really struck me. And I'll, I'll try and read it without stumbling over it. Um, so like, sorry, hold on. So yeah, the third quarter is what it's called, chapter three. So it starts, it's just paragraph. Uh, Black are the brooding clouds and troubled the deep waters when the sea of thought, first heaving from a calm, gives up its dead. Monsters uncouth and wild arise in premature, imperfect resurrection. The several parts and shapes of different things are joined and mixed by chance. And when and how and by what wonderful degrees each separates from each and every sense and object of the mind resumes its usual form and lives again. No man, though every man is every day the casket of this type of the great mystery can tell. I just like, yeah, I don't know. There's so much like that describing like I internal states and uh, like, you know, f flitting from like interiority and like the emotional landscape of people in this kind of place with like, vivid renderings of the of where they live and their actual physical reality and and then their physical descriptions it's it's great deacons is deacons is actually a good writer shocking like <laughs> <laughs> i know it is right it's like kind of like a little lame like i'm like oh i'm discovering no 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 it's not lame but it's like it's one of those things that's like it's it's you know uncool to say like dickens is good actually and, and it was just a little sad to like re like discover it at this late stage or rediscover it as well. Yeah. And also have it be right under your nose as something literally another type of Christmas story like in a cycle that includes something that everyone just kind of ambiently knows. Right. But probably also never actually directly read or like just, you know, which is a Christmas carol. Yeah, I've read it for the last uh, four years, every year. It's the most wonderful, wonderful time of the year. Where it's the just poor so... are all dying and we are all trying to make them feel cheer. <laughs> all right, y'all. Uh, do y'all have anything to add? <laughs> uh, Chris, uh, Dickens good. Christmas, read Christmas Carol. Read, read the it. cycle. If you didn't know about it, recommend yeah. it. Yeah. I'm going to read the other ones and I'm going to read the chimes uh, before Christmas Eve. The chimes also has some good, uh, literally like, a, a, you know, I did, did Toby die? No. They told him he got crushed. Well, that's the thing with all the Dickens novellas is that everybody thinks they died or they think they fucking you know, fucked up, Our but doomed. it always, it always reverts to sort of the moment before. Yeah. Something, it, it always reverts before the moment before <laughs> that something bad happens. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. only thing I have to say about the chimes is there's a cool uh, part where uh, the chimes are ringing 
This is all about the new year too. It feels more about New Year's than Christmas, the chimes, to be honest. Well, uh, yeah. But uh Wow whoa. I whoa. know. Breaking news. Come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. But, There's ringing bells in a Christmas carol. I mean, come on. It's Christmas. But it reminded me of that uh what's the <laughs> what's the f- fucking Fantasia? The the end, the last one where there's oh, that demon the, on the, the broomsticks? No, 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 no. That's the, the last unicorn. Sorcerer's Apprentice, not the last unicorn. That's like an anime, basically. Uh, no, the 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 Mount Doom, the thing where it's like the devil guy on the mountain, and all the de- all the like spirits come out at the end of the first. The Hobbit. Oh my god! <laughs> not another Tom Bombadil moment for me. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. We love you. Happy, merry, <laughs> merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hey. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas. Have a Merry Christmas. Okay. Have a have a Merry Christmas. Uh, hey, 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 have a Merry Christmas. Hey, hey, everybody listening, Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, Charles Dickens. And Gabriel, who had drunk deeply of the spirits of Christmas and mirthful imbibations did make what we call a game-time decision and end the podcast a little early. Then a toast, my love, my dearies, to our Merry Christmas. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us, everyone.